What's good, people? Welcome to this episode of the By the Hood podcast or webcast. I don't know how you're consuming this content, so I won't say which one it is. Uh, but as usual, I'm your host, Jimmy. Um, we have a great episode lined up for you. Uh, I have my brother, Corey, in the building. Corey, what's going on, good brother? What's going on, Jim? Oh, man, I can't complain. Nobody's listening. You know what I'm saying? I'm fair and partly cloudy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, listen, man, we have a, a great episode um, <clears throat> on the way. Before we get started, as always, I got to say this episode is brought to you by Own Your Time and Space. This is the book written by myself and my brother, Corey. If you don't have it, make sure you cop Own Your Time and Space. Link will be in the bio. But this is a special um, episode for a couple of reasons. For one, this brother that we has in kind of feels he hits a couple check boxes on what we uh, wanted to do when we created this program. So you know, we talk a lot about finance, uh, business, economics, and things of that nature, but we also want to highlight people who are doing important work in the community. Um, and this brother is, is actually a business owner, but his work is also very important. So I'm looking forward to hearing about his journey and, and having a great conversation with this brother. Uh, this is the brother, Winston Bailey, who is the CEO and founder of BCDS, which is the Behavioral, Cultural, and Development Solutions. That's what BCDS stands for. Um, a behavioral health therapist uh, is what he is, and he treats adults with autism. He, um, you know, so without further ado, man, I just want to welcome you, Winston. How are you, good brother? I'm good. I appreciate you guys for having me. Thanks for the invite. Um, I think what you guys are doing is great. I mean, it starts now on a ground level. Um, and I've watched a few videos, of course. I do follow you guys, and you guys have a strong following, and that's what's it, what's, what's it about. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. You know, one of the things about this is, um, and we're trying to, as we, as we build this catalog of uh, content, talk to people for different spaces, because uh, the one thing I can say, representation matters, right? So coming up as a kid, I was one of those people who was told, you know, doctor, lawyer, firefighter, you know, the, the, the things you're normally told. I didn't know that, you know, there were black scientists and, you know, until you, till you get more exposure, you get to school, you learn certain things or what have you. But um, hearing a little bit about your story, I said, we, I told Corey, we got to have him on because you're working in a space that uh, I don't see a lot of brothers and sisters um, working in. In fact, I'm not sure about this, but I've been doing research for the show. Do you have the only program for adults with autism, like in our local market? No, I don't. There's a few other providers is what they call them in this, in my space. Okay. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few other providers that I'm aware oh. of. Okay, okay, all right. So, because I saw that somewhere, and I'm like, I don't know about it. I didn't do, you know, dig too deep, but I was, was going to figure out, ask you. But, um, so, you, your, your program or your company, uh, nonetheless, you help adults with autism. But before we get into BCDS, give us a little bit about your background. Um, where were you born and raised, and uh, a little bit about your schooling. Okay, sure. So, um, I'm from West Philly. Um, my parents uh, are from um, the West Philadelphia Winfield section. Um, and uh, I went to local um, West Philadelphia high school uh, out in uh, Overbrook Park, which is sort of a, another section of West Philly, closer to the city line. I went to Lamberton and, you know, uh, after that, you know, I, I did the track after I graduated, went up to um, a state university called Bloomsburg. And um, really um, was seeking for more brotherhood and camaraderie and, and really yearning for black intelligence. And so I transferred to Morehouse College. I got accepted to Morehouse. And um, my experience at the HBCU was short because um, at that point I realized I wasn't the token, so I wasn't getting any money. Uh, <laughs> 
um, the, the, the competition for financial resources is fierce and limited. And me being a transfer student, the students that had already sort of set their sort of, um, you know, academic sort of anchor uh, for some of those funds, you know, at that point I was like 20, you know, I just came back home. I said, you know, I really can't afford, afford that. And, you know, Philadelphia is my home base. Uh, came back to Philly um, and it was interesting because I also got accepted to uh, the University of Maryland, uh, the, the, their main university. And I didn't go there, but I said, I'll come back. I applied to Temple, uh, St. Joe's and Villanova. And um, St. Joe's had rolling admissions and uh, they accepted me. I think Villanova ex uh, accepted me too, but I, I just went with um, St. Joe's and really just, just track, man, just really grinded it through. You know, I, my story is no different from any other brother and sister out there that wanted it bad enough. You know what I'm saying? And the only thing I had in my mind is that I wanted to finish my undergraduate career and I wanted to do that at any means necessary. So I had to change my major. I was a pre-med major. I had to change that. And, um, you know, I was also a minor in Spanish. I had to change that and just really just focus on, um, you know, psychology. I wound up getting an undergrad and, um, psychology with a focus on industrial organizational psych. And then, you know, got a job working at a, a residential treatment facility, really still interested and couldn't really do anything with a bachelor's degree in psych, but make a job doing $12 an hour. That's what I was doing. And, you know, it was like, I got to go to graduate school. And um, the, the job that I had, I was working one of their, their um, new hire sort of orientation employees that they were paid for my graduate school. So I was like, all right, then I'm gonna come work with you guys. And then I got accepted to the graduate school that's affiliated with that employer. And they were like, oh, but wait, you gotta work here for a few years. I'm like, oh man, y'all got me. So I got accepted to the graduate school. There was a bunch of them I could apply to, but this one in particular, I thought it was um, you know, a good opportunity. Nevertheless, I wound up graduating from uh, Holy Family University um, with uh, a master's degree in uh, counseling psychology with a focus on um, uh, student affairs and higher education. And I got a master's degree in human resources management. And okay. that was an experience too, because again, uh, just grinding it and, and how, and the interesting thing about that, that experience was um, the student affairs and higher education was a new program that the university had offered. And I was like in my second year in that graduate program. And I'm a big believer in create your own path. And you sort of have the book that reflects that. Um, if it's not there, you make it, you create it. So I was like, you know, I also had an interest in still industrial organizational psychology. So I said, you know, what would my graduate experience be like if I applied to the HR program? So by my second year, you know, unbeknown to my advisors, I applied to the HR program at Holy Family, went through the whole admissions process, applications, essays, and all of that. And they accepted me. And then I told my graduate program, like, listen, I'm, I'm also... <laughs> first student at at the, and they were like what you know you're about to do your internships and all of this stuff and uh was really discouraged mm -hmm. they were really looking at like how are you going to do this and at that time you know the type of student that I was I, I mean I had so much experience that you know half of the the, the, the subject matter in the class was like you know this is theory I, I, I think I know what is going to work in um you know, I was able to get through some of the theory courses. Got you. And um, as sort of the, the progression of the graduate school program got more 
difficult and stats and things like that. Um, you know, of course, I struggled a bit because I needed to sort of have a focus and they kind of saw that. Um, but, you know, I stuck with it. And uh, I graduated with uh, about a B plus, B, B, what you call like a, you know, yeah. you know I wasn't a, an A student. I was working full time. But, you know, of course, you can't have anything less than a C or a C. You can't do C's in graduate school. Yeah, not, not in graduate school. So, I, so, so it's interesting, your educational journey, because, um, you know, now running your own business, you actually have a master's degree in human resources. And yeah. that's, it is, no, one, no one I know that has, a, I, know, I know several people that have like HR degrees, but no one actually is working either in HR or runs their own business. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, uh, so my question to you is, how did that experience uh, with that degree, does it help you at all on a day-to-day basis, anything that you may or may not have learned? And, you know. So I, yeah, I mean, so kind of, I also, I had a bit of experience in corporate America. I worked for Merrill Lynch for a short period of time. I've also worked for Harris Casino for a short period of time, exploring my HR endeavors. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a training and development guy. I'm, a, I'm an IO guy, right? Industrial organizational guy. And I believe that, we spend a great deal of our energy in the workplace. And I believe that there's so much that can add to the sort of the overall dynamics of someone's life that, you know, that you can't miss that. So, you know, my focus was training and development. And so I applied that training and development passion of mine. Of course, some of the theory is, is gone, but I apply that to at least my work environment. And so culture is very important. Culture is extremely important. And if you don't really take the time out to really understand the type of culture that you're trying to cultivate or architect, then mm-hmm. that's going to that's gonna determine sort of the stability of your business. And I've been running this business for seven years um, without a partner. Um, I just really have I had a really some strong administrative team the last three years. But um, a lot of that, I think I have to attest to my passion to make sure that um, you know, people are getting something out of this work experience. So to answer your question, I think it's one of those, you, I think you have an affinity if, if you're in that space in HR to want to have people get more out of the workplace than just be um, human capital. Gotcha. We understand that, you know, we're the battery that keeps the lights going in our organization, but you, you want to, you want to have something where people get something out of it. And, that was one of my experiences when I, you know, I was working at Merrill Lynch, those big corporate companies, they had like cleaners on the campus. They had a gym, they had a spa. I was like, damn, you know what I mean? Like they take care of their employees. Yeah. I knew being an employer that I wasn't going to have that starting up. I wasn't going to have, but so I was like, well, what, what, what is it that I can offer? So, um, and sort of a short, answer, uh, short, a long winded way to answer your question is I apply it through the sort of the human aspect of it, the human piece of it. Okay. So now you, you gave us a little bit about your, you know, told us about your background rather and, um, you know, the various jobs you had. What led to the formation of BCDS? Like, um, so you specialize in adults with autism. Is, right. How, 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 how did that come about? What made that a passion of yours? Sure. So um, <clears throat> after I graduated graduate school, I was disenchanted with the idea of uh, America being a black man, right? I just... I didn't want to wear a monkey suit. I didn't, I didn't, you know, you know, my job at Merrill Lynch was while I was in graduate school and I was just disenchanted. I mean, I really didn't do anything with my degrees to the capacity that I'm doing it now for like the first three years. I just unplugged to be completely honest with you. I unplugged for a few years 
And then I was resigned to the fact that because I enjoy policy and sort of the cultural aspect that I can do consultation work for organizations that I liked. And so that's what I was doing. I was, you know, I was the, the, the nerd in the back of the office looking at policies and reading and enjoyed it. And as long as I was out of the limelight, I was cool. And um, I had a falling out with uh, the owner of the company, which really was trying to, he was trying to save face, but was basically <clears throat> blatantly stealing my, my work. And, uh. and, and like, yeah, like it was crazy. So I was just, and, and I used to always have this recurring thing where it's just like, I used to challenge um, the, the authorities at some organizations because, you know, I would be like, well, if you want to improve on the quality of the outcomes, you have to do this. And there's also the political play. At that point, I didn't understand. I understand it more now. And, you know, they were always like, well, you know, if, if um, you should be a director or you should do this. And, you know, I had those type of positions and things like that. But what happened was I had a falling out and I had thought about, you know, I want to start my own company. And I started out basically as a sole proprietor. I was living in West Philadelphia at the time, right on Bering Street. And, um, yeah, you know, 2012 was the genesis of Behavior and Cultural Development Solutions. And I just basically sold my services as a consultant. And um, I am still friends today with my first contract, my first um, employer employer contract. This was uh, a sister that has her own business and she was having um, morale and staffing issues. And, um, you know, I, I put together a contract. I gave her some of the outcomes. She, she hired me and, and it went from there. And then, of course, the business, it grew. I, at that point, I understood that my business needed to grow. Okay. And I, I did this with... I was broke, y'all. Like, I mean, I don't really say that. I can say it now, but I was broke as shit. I was broke. Like, when I wanted to start my business, like, I was on an unemployment check. And I was on an unemployment check, and I had just got married. I had just, I, and I, I inherited two sons and a wife, right? Mm. And I, I moved out of my apartment, and my wife was living with her mom at the time, and I was living with my mom in the basement. And I didn't have a car. I didn't, I was, I was on my last, um, you know, you have to always, back in the day when Obama was for president, you get them extensions. I was on my last extension, my dude. Like, <laughs> I was on my last extension, for real. And, um, I, you know, I got the contract, but that, you know, contracts, they're short. They, a month here, two months there. Yeah. And um, I would have to borrow my mom's car to go to, you know, my consultant gigs. And that was a problem. You know what I'm saying? I'm 33, 34 years old, you know, and, I was always a headache and here I am taking another risk and didn't have a computer. And, um, you know, I was, I was traveling, you know, my first client I got in the behavior supports was all the way out in uh, Pottstown. Wow. Two hours a week. So, but that, that's all part, that's all part of your journey. And like, you know, yeah. um, they, they say that that's the best part, you know, cause now you can look back at that and see what you've built. Cause it's, oh, it's seven years, it's seven years. Yeah, it's seven years later. I was like, ah! <laughs> it's seven years later, and you know, you, you you're still here. So, I mean, listen, man, that that's honorable right there. That's 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 honorable. But how how did you get to specializing in adults with autism? Was it something that just came your way, or was this always a passion, or uh, how did that part come about? You know what? I kind of fell into it. You know, I, okay. I don't I don't have that story. Like, you know, I don't have a specific individual. I, I honest, I, ironically my cousin has a son on the spectrum 
I didn't know that until recently. So it's interesting how that does affect us when we don't know it. Um, and he's going to be helping me out in the future with my nonprofit. But I, I just had an interest in behavioral health. Like that was my thing. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I like that you could shape behavior and you can see the outcome of that in a very positive way. And my thing was, was uh, black, black boys turning to be men. So I was, I was really adamant about making my stamp in the world by giving back. So, um, but the autism piece, you know, it was, it was like, it was like one of those things, uh, okay, I'll do that. That's new. Again, it was new. It was fresh. And I was like, I'll give it a try. And it was actually one of the hardest um, out of all the other sort of waiver based programs in the state of Pennsylvania, it is probably the most challenging waiver based program to be a part of because you don't get a, a, a huge amount of services. Like, you know, you got all these home healthcare agencies popping up. Um, but they scrutinize your credentials. Corey knows he goes through it. I'm like, it's not me it's the state, you know, they asking for your shit again. Yes, mm -hmm. they are. They want copies. They want to, <laughs> You know, and they want to look at the paperwork. They want to. They want to do this and do that. But it actually it made me tough. Um, it, 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 it you know it really uh, strengthened me um, emotionally and mentally because uh, again, when when you take that leap of faith, and we'll talk about my experience as an entrepreneur, I didn't have a plan B. Yeah, I I really didn't. I didn't have a plan. I wasn't going back. All I knew was that I have I have a responsibility now. And I have two young men that I have to be an example for now. You understand? So, yeah. and, and yeah, I didn't that, have a plan B. You I mentioned, was, you mentioned something interesting though. You said, um, how, and how it affects black boys, right? So anyone that I know who works in this space or this field always talks about how, you know, the system, so to speak, affects black boys differently than anyone else. So someone right. who works in like, you know, um, social services or psychology, could you just expound upon that a little bit, how, how it affects little black boys? Because you're not the first person I've heard say that. Yeah. And, you know, so give me, give me your experience Dang. and what you mean by that. And, you know, um, go, as, go as deep as you want. But, I, but when you said that, it just, it just clicked because you're not the first person I've heard say that. Oh, man. Um, just give a little bit about the outcomes. Don't go all the way in. Just give a little bit about the outcomes. Okay, give me more, Corey. Give me more. The, the outcomes, the, the differentiated outcomes for little black boys compared to other races and stuff like that, instead of taking it all the way from A to Z, okay. just give, give a little bit about the differentiated outcomes. Okay. So I'm, it's going to be somewhat anecdotal because I don't have, I don't have like any of the data in front of me, but just based on my experience, mm -hmm. um, the... The resources and tools that are provided to them are not equitable to their white peers. Okay. And, okay, what does that mean? The, the, the workforce that, um, that our children should be preparing for is a workforce that's well-versed in all aspects of technology. And when you go to Philadelphia public schools, middle schools and pre-K and things like that, our school systems are dilapidated, are the resources that the children are using are old, antiquated, and they're using technology, but really not understanding things like this. I had a class and I asked the class, is this software or hardware? 
They said it's software. I said, this is hardware. The stuff that's in it is software. And you can make a career. This right here, you know, this is a phone case. You can make millions learning how to make phone cases. Do you know Gorilla Glass? Do you know it's a company that makes millions of dollars creating sand to make, these are three different industries right here. And they don't teach our kids this. But when you go to Haverford and Malvern and Bryn Mawr and things like that, I get the whole socioeconomic difference and things like that. They're given these tools. So when our kids graduate, when Corey's sons graduate, they're looking to be their service providers, their servants. You know what I'm saying? And so they're not looking to be industry leaders and all of that. And okay. so it's, to me, it's blatant. And it's, 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 I'm gonna stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I, I was just asking because of the way you said it. Like, I, I talk to people who work um, in the space, not, not necessarily directly with you, do, and they've, they've said the same thing about like little black boys. So, yeah, it's, and I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this one more anecdotal experience I had. So, Mondays and Wednesdays, I go to Overbrook High School and I do a program for work readiness program. And my contract was to focus on the social emotional aspect. So what I did was I wanted to sort of infuse the social emotional aspect with media, social media platforms and technology. And one of the lessons I focused on today was the platforms of social media, like, you know, YouTube and things like that. And then the music that they listened to. And I was breaking it down to them, even down to the, to the emotional biological influence that the music you listen to, that you're constantly listening to the hooks. And I explained to them how, hooks become uh, um, personalized affirmations. And we watched some few rap videos, we watched like four. And the theme was the same. These are young boys from Philly, Chicago, and they all had guns and they all showing the guns. And I said, well, what's the hook of the video? And they said, you know, like something like, you know, murder, murder and your brains be dead. I'm like, no, that's the hook. Now you keep saying that, you keep saying that, you keep internalizing that, eventually, you're going to, you're going to turn out, you're going to turn, that's going to be a negative affirmation. You know, like you waiting for a nigga to test you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then now I'm trying to give them just a surface little, but there is a, there is a construct. There is record companies that is willing to produce this. You don't see the same thing. I went to Kenya. I went to Africa. I went to the Philippines. You know, I went to Panama. I went to other countries and I plan to go to more, but you don't see the same forcing of that, particular message to their youth and in our youth they they're willing to do that these kids are getting you know uh, uh signs and you know youtube should there should be a disclaimer we don't want that you yeah. know what I, mean? I understand the, ex the expression of 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 your emotions but i'm trying to tell them like these kids that are talking about gun violence and they talk about popping pills and things like that to me that's trauma they they they, they, they dealing with trauma in the worst way yeah you, know, you got 15 brothers that are paranoid because of the murder of their friend. Now they popping Zans and things like that. So yeah. this thing gets, for me, that's, that's, that's what's happening. Yeah, that's interesting because like I've, I've had like um, long debates with myself, you know, on one shoulder to another shoulder about, about that, about, because um, I know the power of, of music and the power, like you said, of hooks and sounds, even, even the instruments, the way they're played in a certain way. Yeah, have a yes. energy. It's just yeah, very yeah. demonic, man. Yeah. But then it, then it makes me think about this too, though, right? So I know that it's also, um, in terms of the record labels, it's a money thing. Like, so if, if, if for some reason, you know, positive messages sold, they put their money behind that. 
So then it goes into the trauma that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Why do we, why do these certain sounds and, and, and words resonate with us more than others? Um, because there is positive messages in some music out there, but yeah, nobody's checking for that. <laughs> right, right, right. And they're, they're not, they're not even, I mean, not to get too psychological or analytical, but they're not even talking about that. This is a form of therapy, you know, um, Meek Mill's new album, The Championship, like, he had, he, he was, that was cathartic for him. I mean, he listened to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's talking about some real shit. He's yeah. putting it out there on the airwaves so other kids can identify, but he had to get it out. And that's a problem, too, when you, when, not to get too much into it, but now we're talking about black mental health. Black men, it needs to understand that they, they do also have the array of emotions that any human being has. And what happens is if you don't have an outlet, for some of them, it's not rap. You, you're, think about what happens to a pressure cooker. You're going to pop. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, as a, as a, a, a very crude comparison, um, we kill our communities, our friends, our best friends, our cousins. White kids pop, like the one that did it at the Garlic Festival, said he was angry. So you kill <laughs> people because you're angry. You understand? Yeah. Angry for yeah. And it's an interesting conversation because um, I didn't realize until a couple of years ago, actually, um, and, you know, I'm an adult, but that, you know, just growing up in the inner city, certain things that are just normal to me aren't normal, right? Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I was having a trauma. Listen, listen, I was having a conversation with someone from, um, from California, um, and we were just having a conversation about certain things and just certain, certain things that are normalized specifically in Philadelphia. And, you know, to me, that was just like, you know, wow, I guess I am, I'm, I'm personally suffering from PTSD and I've normalized certain things in my life that I shouldn't, you know, when you talk to someone and they tell you that they, they, they don't have any family or friends that have been, you know, died at gun violence. I'm like, I, I thought everybody did like, you know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you don't Where know anybody. From that nobody died from gun violence. Yeah, like, yeah, to me, that's like, to me, I'm looking at them like they're weird, but it's like, I'm, one I'm, person strung out. Yeah, I'm like I'm the weird one. Like you don't right, have any, right. you don't have you don't have any junkies in your family. Like how right, is that? Like right, no. right. you know what I'm saying? So it's like it's it's that's a that's a uh, man that's a deeper darker conversation. But you, you but you're right though. But to end, you know just to get back to our our conversation, you are right that a lot of our, our boys are dealing with this. Um, so I guess the the question is, and some of these questions are so deep, and I don't want to have us on here all night. But yeah, I got you. In short form, what's the answer? Man, it starts from the womb, man. I mean, it's going so. I, my theory is that it, it really starts with um, healthy mothers and healthy relationships. And so, you know, I'm into epigenetics now, and they were talking about how they did a study of the rising cortisol levels of mothers that experienced 9-11. And I think that our young mothers, our young fathers, I mean, they're going through so much trauma, so much repressed trauma that they're passing it off to their children, let alone the traumatic experience from slavery. And there's information out there that talks about cross-generational post-traumatic stress and things like that. There's not a whole lot of studies on it, you know, for, for whatever reasons, but I think that it, it really starts, it's, it's, um, we're dynamic. So it really starts with from the minute that that child is in the womb and it's about how the mother um, addresses, you know, certain personal stress. You think about it, you have a, a mom that, is now 15 or 16 or 18 or young. And now she's pregnant. She's living in a practically a war zone and she's struggling. We don't know the chemical impact that's going on and the stress levels that's going on in her body. That information is being internalized, fed to her child. Now that child is out in her womb. 
crying and yelling and, and seeking for things. Mom doesn't understand the value of attachment and now is causing a whole lot of anxiety in that own kid that's produced. I mean, it starts there. And then you're talking about um, the, the lack of sort of substantive food with, you know, significant nutritional, um, you know, value that these kids aren't getting. They're, they're eating all these type of different products that are substituting or mimicking what they should have and they're not. And it starts with that, right? Because we know that vitamin C is important and, you know, it, it helps with, you know, stress levels. So I think it starts there. And I'm only basing that off of right now. I'm also doing a program at a shelter in North Philadelphia, which is also part of my nonprofit. And, you know, listening to, to mothers that their norm is living in a shelter. Now they have children that are living in a shelter and these kids are living in a shelter, but it's almost like an apartment, right? Yeah. So that's going to become their norm. And then they have sort of this transverse sort of lifestyle, this transient lifestyle that here, they're there, never really stable and stability is important. Um, so I think that if we start looking at the conversation from the beginning, because what happens is, and this is in my field, I could talk specifically with this, Corey knows it. We get a new consumer. They want me to address the problem like right there. Well, hold on. Now, in the context of behavioral health and, and, and uh, applied behavior analysts, um, techniques, you know, they only want to focus on the behavior, but we're dynamic. So I have to really know sort of what is the occurrences that have happened prior to me coming here and, you know, what's the relationship with the mom, what's their skill set and things like that. And so what happens when we're talking about things on this magnitude with violence and, and, and outcomes for kids is that they want us to address the immediate problem. Let's, let's focus on this right here. Let's forget all this stuff in the back and you're really not addressing the issue. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and and yeah. that and the only reason that that just requires work, man. That requires yeah. work. And they want you to solve a problem. They 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 want you to solve the they they don't they want you to solve the symptoms and not the problem. Right. And, and that's why we ad address problems before we get to the symptoms. Yeah. Right. And that's crazy yeah. because that reminds me of like um you see a lot of times in education um and it's not just Philadelphia across the country where they just throw more money at it. That's it. They don't, they don't even dig deeper into see what the actual problems are. It's just like, let's allocate more money to the school. But right. it doesn't matter, how much, money you, it doesn't matter how much money you allocate if uh, you're not, you're not you know, dealing with the actual problems. But the thing is, that's why what Winston does is dope because he can, as running his own company, he can address the problems before we even get to the... That's the, the hope, Corey. That's uh, the hope. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, we can address the problems you know what I mean? Before we get to the to trying to solve the, the, the symptoms that came from that problem. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, this is a great conversation. I want to ask you a couple of things because, you know, um, you moved into entrepreneurship um, and, and your story is amazing. You said you was on your, uh, your, your, your last extension, your last Obama extension. Yeah, my last Obama extension. And my last student default. I was, like, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, listen, I can't give you nothing, okay? And so, so you talked about that feeling of like, listen, I have nothing else to go back to. Did any part of you feel like, man, I, I should just go back and get a job? Like, what am I doing? And, and if, you, if, if you didn't feel that way, how did you push through it to say, no, I got to do my own thing? It never entered my mind. Never been in your mind? Never entered my mind. To get a job? No. Nice. Okay. Never entered my mind. I, I, I would... Never, I, nah, it was just like... At that point, you said hook a crook. This is what you're yeah, doing. I like, like fuck it. I'm yeah, in it. I heard that. <laughs> I'm in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I was like, this is it. I was, I'm not going back. And I think that that's what sort of, and, and if you're looking at objective, that's kind of insane, right? Because, you know, I've got to think about it, right? Because I'm like, we got to move. I got to take care of these kids. And I'm not making anything. I'm traveling three hours just for two hours just for the compliant to be like, I don't want services today. That type of shit. And yeah. um, I was still young in the marriage. So I didn't have my wife to like, she wasn't a shoulder for me to go to. And that's part of the black mental health. You know, I didn't have anybody be like, yo, man. I'm out here in fucking Pottstown, man. You know this motherfucker told me that he didn't want services. Yo! Ah! You know what but I mean? At the, but at the same time, you're showing them that you're willing to fight for your dreams. A was, lot of people a lot of people aren't willing. A lot of people have goals and dreams, but they're not willing to fight for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, outside of that, you have an interest in technology. That, you know, and I know that you've um, started another company yeah. outside of your, your, your number one company. Uh, so... Tell me a little bit about precision treatment uh, analytics. Absolutely. So um, give me one second. Uh, okay. So precision treatment analytics came out of, I had a need, right? I had a need to make sure that because I was getting audited so much. I mean, I was getting audited. They was auditing me like, and I was like, y'all, y'all just came out like November of last year and the year just turned and you out here again. For another audit and I was just like what do y'all you know they was like nah it's it's just this and that it's just not a whole lot of providers and and I was like I need a better way to keep track of um my services and you know my clients and the hours and, and all of that so I started looking for an electronic health record that would keep track of that so my staff I really wanted to go paperless right so my staff can um have access to the goals they can get the client to sign, boom, then I can get billed. Because at this point, I was doing the billing, I was doing the payroll, I was doing some services, and I was managing people, and still trying to get new work. I was just all parts of the, the business. And um, I was running ragged, you know, and playing husband and, and, and mentor and, and father. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, mm-hmm. I need something to, to sort of soothe some of this, this, uh, this burden. And uh, I found the company and I went through that and I paid them like 10 racks to get started. And they were like, oh, it's great. And they courted me. They, you know, they, they courted me for like two years and I'm, I'm a real decisive buyer. I can be impulsive, but I'm like, nah, I'm not ready. And around the second year, I was like, okay, I can afford it. I'm ready. And then they were like, well, this is going to be great for you. And I got it. And then when I started to launch it to my staff, they didn't have access to it because it didn't, um, com- wasn't compatible with a particular browser. This is how begin, right? So now I'm 10 grand in. It's a licensed application. Now they're asking me for like $1,300 a month. And I'm like, y'all told me that this was compatible with this browser and that browser and that browser. And then they started the back pedal and they were like, well, hold on. That was our sales team. And I'm like, well, that's not my, that's the product y'all sold me. Make a long story short, I had to get my attorney involved. I keep her on retainer. Um, and, um, I terminated the contract. They still tried to get money out of me two years later. I told them to go back to the termination of the contract. And then I said, you know what? I can do this shit on my own. So I went out and I said, you know what? I want to create a behavioral health, um, application that allows for my consumers to stay connected with their, their staff, uh, no matter sort of what providing agency they're in, because often in this space, you have multiple providers working with one consumer. And the one thing they don't do is they don't share information. And so there becomes a sort of a lot of duplication and efforts. 
Like if I get a new consumer, if there's already a plan out there, I at least like to know where I'm coming from. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to repeat the same thing. And then the family's like, oh, the last one did this and that. And you're just like, well, where is the, the information that support that? So it was really something that the staff can have and the provider can have and sort of do their job more efficiently. And then um, the idea was that, so if the individual had four providers working with them, then all four providers, even don't matter what company they're working for, they can see the progress of that child or adult throughout the day. So if Corey's working with him in the afternoon, you know, he puts information in Google book and then it shows the data. Um, there's been a number of um, new additions to programs like Epic and Therap and things like that um, in that space. The electronic health record space is, is growing big. Um, but the, that journey was important for me because <clears throat> I put, I want to say close to 50,000, if not more dollars into creating a program from scratch. And that was my learning curve. Um, I got burnt by a program development company um, from India. Um, not necessarily burnt, but they, their business model really wasn't aligned with um, what I was looking to do. And that's just because I was naive. Um, I'm, I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I was willing to take the risk. And um, in taking that risk, uh, I lost my money but I also gained a great education. And then uh, I found out that, you know, there's other ways and other methods to um, get the application that you want without spending so much money. And, um, you know, I started reaching out to a lot of people. I had a marketer, I had a program, um, a project manager, a product manager. Um, I had all these different people and I just started getting like real savvy. I'm like, I need deliverables, I started applying it to my business. I need to know what you're gonna do at the end of this day. And um, needless to say, I, I kept pushing it until I get an MVP. Um, I had to make a number of iterations. And uh, it got to the point where um, I had uh, connected with a brother that, that writes code. And, you know, for equity into the, um, the project, he's willing to, to work for me. But what I wound up doing was, um, all the while sort of running the main business, I started going to meetup organizations. Um, and I, I started realizing that I was the only black face at these meetup organizations around a bunch of, you know, techies and you gotcha. know, they, they use jargon like the ecosystem and the tech space. And I started understanding what that means. And, you know, I started getting strong, like, you know, there's a difference between Python and Java and JavaScript, full stack, front stack, back stack, all of that stuff I, I wasn't aware of. And um, I was, I, people were asking me, so if you have a business and you run a behavioral health business, why are you here? <laughs> and I'm like, because, you know, I want to learn and this is what I want to do for my company. And um, I, I realized I, I started on a journey a few years ago. I was like, you know, I want to write a book. And I want to write a book from the space of an entrepreneur, a minority or black entrepreneur going into the tech space for the first time. And what are some of the challenges and the perceptions that are, are either unspoken but has is shown in actions and behaviors or things that are actually said to you as far as your naiveness into that space and um really giving them i wanted to create like a blueprint some steps you yeah. know so you know you know one of the chapters like don't de don't develop it from scratch now, somebody has done it already find a platform to build on it something like that you know understand what an mvp is you know people say terms like mvp 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 and really not knowing what an MVP looks like. Um, I did, I did, the biggest mistake was, and this is one of the, one of the chapters in a book, <clears throat> and I tell this to a lot of people when they have a new business idea, 
I always say, well, does your customers want it? And when I tell people that, and you know, they're very enthusiastic about their idea, um, what they don't understand is that I had already lost about 30,000 already creating <laughs> something and not finding out whether or not my people wanted it. So if I'm telling you, did you find out if they want it? I'm telling you for a good reason. Do they, did they ask for that? Did yeah. they, did they say like, Hey, Corey, yeah, we, we looking for this. And if you didn't find it, if you didn't survey them, if you didn't do focus groups, I did focus groups, man, I was doing cold calls. If you don't find it, then you're actually, you're going to be dead in the water because that's when you start making a lot of changes to make a product fit their needs as opposed to doing it other round to identify what that need is, scale down who your, your customer base is and deliver something that's very basic so they can understand what it is wow. that you're trying that's, to do. That's powerful game right there because you, like you said, before you do spend all, spend, make that kind of investment and spend that kind of time. Uh, I know Corey likes to hear that. Spend that kind of time. Um, you know, do people actually even want what it is you're doing, right? And right. That, sounds, that sounds very simple, but I understand what you mean by that because a lot of people, they just go full gung-ho when they get an idea, not they, knowing whether anybody even cares or even wants to, you know, whatever it is. Right, and I did it. And people, and the first thing people were like, you know, you have a pretty good idea, you, you have a good concept, why don't you use it for your company? Or, you know, why don't you use it for this population? And I just had this grandiose idea and I, I joined all these organizations and I got mentors. Like I really, I'm all, I'm all or nothing. I'm either in it or I'm not. And um, I started hearing some of this, the, the themes over and over again. And it was just like, you know, that they asked for, that they wanted that, you know, so what's your customer base? And I did a lot of research on who my customer was and then found out that, okay, this is my customer, but then now they can't afford it. Mm, wow. Then I was like, well, how am I going to get paid if this is my customer group and they can't afford it or they don't have the money because it's for a specific population that gets subsidies from the government? And then what's my strategy? Do I go to the government subsidy and convince them to pay me to address a need that they didn't really ask for yet? So I started taking all of this and, and taking it into account and I said, well, I know I'm not the only person that's going to go on this journey but what I did realize is that there's a, there's a, and I, I'm going to speak about mental health and, and entrepreneurship. There's a mental health component to it. You know, I remember laying by my bed and I had a little carve out a copy of um, my app, the mobile version of my app. And I put it uh, by the wall. I know it sounds corny. Everybody does it. I did it. And, you know, I put down some of the features and every time I woke up, I looked at it, you know, and that was something. But the one thing that my wife didn't do, she, she never, discredited me she believed in it you know what I'm saying and um that's another rule that I got out of as far as being an entrepreneur entrepreneur is have a have a conversation with your family you know because the money I spit in that app that could have been a vacation you know what I mean that could have been some clothes for her you know they started in like oh you know because it failed right and and I learned from my failure but you need somebody to really to, to, to understand that you're the type of person that, okay, you're going to learn from, but you're going to keep pushing. And I think a lot of people don't take account. You can't be an entrepreneur without having your, your, your squad with you. You can't, you can't, you really, you know, like, you know, you got your hype squad and a rap, but you can't, you can't do it. You can't because then you got doubters. And then I'm not in the business of convincing. I'm past that. I used to be, but then I'm like, that's take too much energy. I'm not going to convince you. So if you don't get it, no problem. I'm just going to keep going. Mm -hmm. I'm just keep okay. going. And so it's important that um, I even told my accountant this. I have a new account now, but she's growing. I was like, 
you know, you want to go on on your business, you know, tell your husband, like things are about to get tough. That, that lifestyle y'all used to, that's, that's six figures about to get low because yeah. what you don't understand is, and I hope you understand, I'm trying to merge these experiences is that when you take that risk, it doesn't only affect you, it affects everybody. Absolutely. Everybody is in it now. Your kids, they, I tell them like, listen, I know y'all used to eating out, but y'all not noodles. We got ramen noodles in the cabinet. <laughs> that is on the meal plan. You dig me? You it's know? a sacrifice, but so you, but you playing a long game and, and that's what it's right. about. It's about playing that long game. A lot of people, like I said, there, a lot of people aren't willing to get uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like people, people have these goals and I'm like you, like you said, that sound corny. It don't sound corny to me. I write all my goals down. I write all my, you know, all those things down and I, I put them up. In fact, I have them as, as my screensaver on my phone. Every time I look at my phone, I'm looking at my okay. goals. You know what I'm saying? So I, I get it. I totally get that. Um, but man, you shared a lot of, a lot of wisdom right there in, in those last five minutes, man. You, you know, Appreciate but you, yeah, but listen, another thing. Um, you have another organization, which is a nonprofit organization. So before we get out of here, tell people about your nonprofit and what's your, what's your objective with your nonprofit? Sure. So Colors on a Spectrum is my new baby. Colors on a Spectrum focuses on partnership, advocacy, and education. And so what happened was uh, I learned my lesson. I started getting phone calls from other organizations about with parents wanting to know if I can provide services to their children. Because at that time, we became a Magellan provider. And they were like, you know, we're looking for a provider that can be consistent or we're looking for somebody that's black and this like that. Or we want somebody that's familiar with our community. And I started saying, you know, there's a lot of moms. There's a lot of black moms. It's like I had a Hispanic sister call me and, you know, they want somebody bilingual. And they're like looking at like, you know, could you provide the service? And at that time, um, I didn't feel like I could meet the capacity. You know, I, I, I had staff, but. I would have to transition them to start providing services to children that are recently diagnosed. Um, you know, I was getting phone calls from the Center of Autism. The Center of Autism doesn't provide ABA services. That's not what they're there for. They actually are there to, you know, um, I believe diagnose and, and their, their services are pretty much limited. Um, okay. so we were getting calls from children, um, parents that uh, children recently diagnosed. And I said, you know what, I can create a nonprofit through the support of a friend that really believed in me. Um, a brother, which is important, you know, he was like, Winston, you know, this is, this is a space for you. You know, you need to fill it. And I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah, you know, you know, how many, you know, black males that are in this space that living in this community from this community is really addressing that. Others are saying they're doing it, but if you look behind the curtain, they're really not. And he was like, the one thing I know about you, you're going to do the work. Unfortunately, you're going to be tired, but you're going to do the work. I'm like, yeah, he's like, yeah. So started a nonprofit. I started knocking on doors and, you know, I started really pitching. Once again, I understood the value of having at least a 30 second pitch of basically what my business is about and really focused on addressing those issues as related to um, being misdiagnosed, diagnosed late or not diagnosed at all. And so what that looks like is, um, and, and it's interesting because as I started fast forwarding this experience, started going to schools, you know, teachers like, oh no, we, we're addressing this issue and things like that but not knowing that some of the children that have a diagnosis of conduct disorder or oppositional defiant disorder or things like that, it may not be autism, like that's my space, but it could be post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. disorder. it could be anxiety, it could be conduct disorder, and, and it could be anything, or they might not be autistic, they might have an auditory thing, you know, hearing impairment, you know, speech impairment, but because 
you know, this is one of those, we got to catch the ball. We got to lump it all together. And, 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 you know, those things can be addressed. So it's just like, okay, they're being misdiagnosed. And so you'll see that you'll hear parents say, well, that's why if you focus and pay attention, if your child has been diagnosed on a spectrum, they got to get reevaluated after a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. Now you think, well, if they have a neurologically, a neurological deficiency, that's, what they call pervasive developmental disorder. This is going to last throughout their lifetime. Mm-hmm. So why am I reevaluating them? And it's because sometimes those kids are presenting things that were actually not what they had assumed to be. And so they probably have grown out of it or with appropriate support. You have the early start Denver model. Of course you have your ABA, you have some other sort of techniques out there. Um, child therapy, uh, play therapy that help sort of some of those, neuronal synapses to start firing the right way the development starts because their brains are still malleable and boom right no speech delay boom you know no cognitive delay boom you know no impulsivity right so i was just like you know i I like to get in that space and to address it because i wanted to change the paradigm right i didn't want i started hearing another conversation where a lot of universities and colleges are coming into our community and are using our community almost like a petri dish or a lab experiment or research subjects. And they come in, they go into the community and they have a very strategic way of sort of getting into, getting the support of community advocates to say, hey, we're here, we wanna help, we wanna do this, we wanna do that. But after their semester's over or they get their credits or they get the outcomes of their research, they're gone. Then the gone. community are like, well, where do we get out of it? Wow. I'm like, I'm here, right? So let's, let's flip this upside down, right? Let's, let's do it upside down. So how about, you know, this organization be the organization that platforms that leads the research and then that provides the information that we get out of the research to provide the services and is, understand where the outcome's going. Is that, why you, is that why you structured it as a nonprofit? Was it was something strategic exactly, about? Okay. Exactly. Okay. Got because, you. Because um, when you're talking about grant supports, uh, when you're talking about pairing with other organizations, strategically it was the best option for me. Um, so, and, and, and there you have Colors on the Spectrum. We've been, like I said, we've been a year old. Uh, I, applied, I applied for the Philadelphia Autism Grant. I literally got an email from a friend of my grandfather's four days prior to his due date. And I sat in this office and I just was like, I'm doing this. And I sat in until I finished it. I, I you know, I, I did everything I could, sent it, revised it, and, um, I think around, I was away. I was in um, Ghana and I got the email saying that I was awarded the grant. And then I came back and I was like, well, shit, I got to get a team. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Yeah. I had to interview people and that, that was a challenge too, because um, uh, sometimes you'll find that people that say they're for you when, when it's time, they like, ah, you know, it doesn't really work with my schedule, <laughs> this and that. And it's like, oh, man. So I had to really scrounge for an art instructor. I had to scrounge for a special ed instructor. I had to really scrounge. And I didn't have, let me tell you, I, I didn't have, they didn't give me a lot of money. I'm a full disclosure. They gave me like $756. And so my, the people that I got on board cost way more than that. So I'm mm-hmm. taking money out of my main organization to make sure that I believe in it's better to deduct than to add too much. So it's just like, I, you know, I got it. I can shave, you know, and do whatever. So I'm learning. This has been my first pilot program, my first camp. But um, uh, yeah, and okay. I'm rocking and rolling. I've, I'm at, I've been at uh, Marie Dendy in North Philadelphia, uh, Mill Creek. Now, you know, 
Martha Washington, which was an adapt and adjust strategy, and um, uh, the Woodstock Center in North Philadelphia, all on a couple hundred bucks and some donations from another organization. Wow, Winston, listen, man, your story is amazing. Um, the sure. fact that the fact that you was like, look, I'm going for it, and you didn't even think about like turning away. Now you have the 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 experience um, in building a business out where you actually have real employees. A lot of people like to call themselves business owners, but they don't have to make payroll. I tell people when you got to pay somebody, that's it's different. Is is things are different, right? So um, so you've built that out. Uh, then you have experience in the tech space because of a need. They say necessity is the mother of invention. Um, and now, you know, you're bringing it all together with a nonprofit. So you have experience in all these things. So two more questions before we get out of here. The first, sure. the first one is this, with all those experiences that you have now, which, which led you to this day, if someone is getting in that space, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give someone starting out fresh? They want to, they want to help their community, but they want to build their own business and they want to get into this space. What would be the one piece of advice you would give? Um, uh, focus on your mental health. Their own personal mental health. Yes. Okay. First thing. First thing. I, I think this is this is I I played I played a win. It's the long game. And I find that most people. I mean, some people have started out with me as trying to be a provider, but they didn't make it. Most people buckle. You know, um, an argument of "I told you so" when you fail. Um, shit, man. When the bank account gets in the red and you got to pay people. Um, shit, I've had plenty of nausea, nauseating sleepless nights because the most important thing is paying people. And I think that if I did not have the mental fortitude to press on, I don't think I would have made it this far because I failed. I have failed more times than people have actually seen. I really have. And I think that, um, yeah, you got to you got to you got to check yourself. You got to check how how you deal with stress, um, the impact of it. Uh, I think those things are really not focused on because let's say that you know you do start out. I tell somebody you know go get it. I tell them all these great strategies and um, you know they gained fifty pounds and they got bags under their eyes and you know they're a completely different person. You're not going to see the fruits of your labor. You're going to die of a heart attack. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you're going to lose something. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's a fair trade. And I'm in a space right now. I, I'm really, you know, it, it takes a lot of energy, but I'm really focused on, you know, the impact that it's having on, you know, this man right here. Okay. That's, think, that's, that's great advice. That's, that's a, that's a new one. No, no one's ever said that one, but I, I, that makes yeah, perfect that's sense. Bar. That makes perfect sense. Um, and the last question before we get you out of here, can you give us a book or two that you've read throughout the years that has either been inspiring or, oh, or, your, or your favorite book? What? I keep them on my phone, my phone. I'm sitting here playing with it. Um, unfortunately, I, I had, um, it, it turned, let me see, done with, uh, give me a second. Because uh, I do Audible. And I do Audible because I can listen to it, um, coming to, going to my office, all that stuff. So what I want to do is if you can bear with me. Yeah, I'm an Audible guy too. So, but you know, so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always on Audible. I have a yeah. few Audible, I have a few Audible books that are, um, I think, essential that you should have in your, your playlist. Okay. And, um, uh, I can tell you just, uh, Aug Mandino. Okay, let me write these down. Yeah, yeah. Aug Mandino. Give me uh -huh. a, um, 
Uh, where is it? Come on, Audible. Do you know the name of the book? Yeah, so um, I believe it is... Um, oh, man. Give me a second. Uh, give me a second. Give me a second. Having a little brain for it on a good book. I'm going to give you a few. I have a few, I have a few books that I, that I know. Um, if you listen to them, if you listen to them today and you have more experience, you're, it's going to resonate differently as with any book. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I do is I try to, I try to listen to books um, multiple times. I tell you, I, I did a, uh, as my stuff comes up, I did a challenge to myself, right? Uh, about my fifth year, you know, everybody says businesses don't make it past five years. And like my fourth year and eight month, you know, I was really struggling financially. And I was like, man, is this it? You know, am I, am I a statistic? I'm already a statistic. Is, am I done? Is what? <laughs> you know, I was really like on that verge. And, you know, I got a good squad, but I'm like, I can't let them see me sweat. But, you know, they might hear me rambling, but deep down inside, I'm like, yo, like shit is getting crazy. And, um, the only thing I knew, like a madman, is fucking push, 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 push. And I tell myself that push, push, push. And um, what I did was one year, and I told my staff this, I did a, um, 365 days. I tried to commit 365 days. I picked specific um, self-affirming audible, audible books, audio books, and um, YouTubes. And I listened to it before I went to bed. I listened to it when I was in the shower. I listened to it in my car because what I found myself doing was I found myself having um, defeating thoughts. And I just, I, I was too deep. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm in too deep. So I was like, the only way I can compete with these defeating thoughts is if I have something in the background. Now, I know the brain, whether I do it consciously or unconsciously, will pick the shit up. So I would listen to this shit at nausea. At nausea, and sometimes I'm like, damn, I heard this shit already. But I'm like, fuck it, I gotta put something. And so I would play a lot of, you know, self-affirming uh, CDs. And sometimes these are like, oh, white guys, like, ah, oh, whatever. But I think sometimes the message still uh, resonates, no matter no matter who the person is coming from. Yeah. Uh, and so I would also listen to like um, stories of uh, trial and error, like people that have tried stuff and have failed. Because the biggest thing that happens too is, and I was in this space by myself for a while is that you live in a bubble. You think that nobody else is experiencing it. And I realized that I'm not the only person stressing about payroll and benefits and staff. There's other motherfuckers out there too. Yeah. I'm just not talking to them, but I keep it real. Like when you talk to me about my business, you want to, I'm telling you what my numbers are. I'm not faking it. Yeah, man, I, the motherfuckers cost a lot. You know how much benefits <laughs> is? You know, like, they're like, ah, you know, I got this and got that. No, like you sometimes... It's like my, my family, like my people got to eat before I eat. You know what I mean? Like, so I had to have, let me find it. I got, man, give me one second, brother. I had to have it. So it was Augmentino. Man, give me one second. There's a few books. Um, okay. The Power of Now is one book. Um, mm-hmm. Ease to Greatness. Um, As a Man Thinketh. Yeah, uh, I read that greatest, one. The Greatest Salesman. Um you know, chapters 13 all the way down. I love them. Uh, the psychology of winning, uh, the secrets of, uh, self-made millionaires. I read that one. Uh, there's a, another book, the brother that, uh, started uh, jet magazine. I listened to his book, 
his story. Um, I forget his name, but he had a good book. And then on the text, and then on the text side, there's you know, built to sell. Um, there's oh, there's a few good books called uh, Brand Seduction. That's a good book. Um, man, um, I saw Brand Seduction because I I read one called uh, Brand Washed. Okay. So yeah, 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 yeah. Brand Seduction. Uh, um, and another book. This is sort of a an existential epistemological type of book. It's uh, called The Kabbalion. It's about sort of, you got the principles of Maya or the seven hermetic principles. Um, and I started to really get into that. And basically um, some of the chapters is that uh, nothing is at rest, everything vibrates. And I unknowingly understood this. As a, as a therapist, we have to be careful of our body language, our tone, our pitch, yep. our cadence, because it may trigger something that you're not aware of. But knowing that everything vibrates, even if I can't see it, people do have thinking, you know, creates energy. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's something that they call it, there's frequency waves to thinking. Okay. And so, you know, knowing that you can project that, you know, to other people. And I started paying attention to that. I was just like, if I want to win, I've, I've made it so far, but if I really want to win in life, and I don't mean financially, if I want to win, then I have to have the people around me winning too. And they got to believe that I can win. Absolutely. And so I started really focusing, like, like I can't, you, you got to believe, because I believe I can win. Nigga, you got to believe you can win. So we going to win. So that's interesting because that, that means that you've also made it an investment in like self-improvement outside of all the other investments you've made in, 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 in people and in, in, in technology and products you've invested like in. Yourself. My background is similar because my, my, my degree is in the administration of HR. So okay. I understand exactly what he's talking about when he's yeah. talking about going through these, these phases and, and making sure that people get better. You know what I mean? Like, and, and then when he starts talking about vibrational energy, that brings it back to the beginning story about the music. Yeah. So it takes it all the way back in a circle. So those affirmations that you were doing and those, those, uh, that, that, that trauma stress release that you were doing, that's another thing. Um, when you, when you're dealing with these young people that you gotta give them somewhere to release it, like you were saying earlier. Right. I'm going to the gym later. I'm going to hit some weights. <laughs> well, that's, a place, that's a place I don't, you know, I haven't hit in a minute. The, the, the only thing that hit me in the gym is the door on the way out. <laughs> Come on, man. Get in there, man. Stop that. Come on, Corey. You know, Listen, I, I, tell, I tell you, man, I keep it real when I say, Corey, Come on, man. Stop that. <laughs> Listen though, listen though, man. You've given you've given us a lot of information, a lot of gems, and a lot of wisdom, man. Um, and you know, we went we went a little deep here. Um, and I know we could have went deeper, but at the end of the day, man, I don't want to keep you here all day because I know you're a busy man. But uh, Winston, I just want to say thank you, thank you for the time that you did give us. Um, I want to wish you much success on your business, your nonprofit. Um, any way we can help, let us know. Uh, the people that are listening or watching, how can they get more information about you and what you got going on? Um, maybe your nonprofit or. Yeah, um, listen, man, just, just email me at wb at bcdsllc.com. That's wb at bcdsllc.com. You can call me. My number's out there, 267-343-2538.
if you have some questions or you want to know something, I'll try my best to get back to you. I, I do run a very busy schedule. Um, and I do try to get back to everybody that, that does get in contact with me. Um, but yeah. Okay. All right, man. Well, thank you, man. Um, and for those out there listening, if, if, if you're watching this on video or listening on a podcast, make sure that you uh, share this information because we're trying to spread this message that brothers and sisters all across this country are doing great work in the community and we are building businesses. We all don't, um, <laughs> we we all don't play sports, um, you know. I like sports. I, no, no, no. I, no I, 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 love, I love sports too. But I shared something today that um, you know, there's information out there that there's actually more black surgeons than NBA players, right? Wow. And, it, and it's funny, right? Because see, see your reaction, right? right. Yeah. It, nobody it, believes it. Nobody <laughs> believes me, right? But I actually looked up. The, I did the, did the research. There's data out there. There's more. There's actually um more in specialty surgeons, brain surgeons, um. Wow. You know, uh, but the fact is, person. but the fact is, most people, even our own people, don't believe don't that because it. when you 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 wouldn't know that by watching uh you know mass media. So right, one of our objectives is share these messages that you know we're out here doing work in all kinds of spaces, whether it's real estate, behavioral health. We have stock traders. We have all kinds of people doing all kinds of amazing work. We want to make sure we share these stories. So the people out there, share this information. Um, on your time and space is the book. That's our sponsor. Um, give us five stars and give us feedback. Let us know if there's anybody that we should be talking to that's doing amazing work in the community or building a business. But again, Winston, I just want to say thank you, man. Um, Corey, any last words before we get out of here? Yo, I appreciate you uh, coming on and coming through. And, um, you know, uh, uh, your time and the efforts that you put into our community, I really enjoy and appreciate that, having worked with you as long as I have. Yeah, man. We Yeah. Yeah, you know, so, I, mean, I appreciate that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so salute to you, Winston, man. For everybody out there, man, you know we always say it's not about how much money you make, it's how much you keep. Game right. elevates and, uh, and peace, people. We love you. Peace. Peace.